FCF, how are you adjusting to the new normal? We have all this new language we're learning now. We were in a series of messages for three weeks called Sheltering in Place, All New Language. Now we're being told we need to be prepared to adjust to whatever the new normal is going to look like. And of course, we don't have much of an idea. What we do know is that there's going to be some real adjustments. Uh, just think of the things already that we've had to adjust to. It used to be that if you had a neighbor in the old days that never came out of their house, they just stayed in their house for weeks on end, you were suspicious of that neighbor. That could be a bad person. But now it's just the opposite. If the neighbor is out of their house too much, they're the bad person because they're supposed to be sheltering in place. It used to be if you had someone that wouldn't give you a handshake, they were a bad person. Today, if somebody comes up to you and tries to shake your hand, you're running full steam to get away from them. Endless adjustments. Used to be you go to the store and you saw somebody wearing a mask, you hit the floor because they're a bad guy. They're, they're going to pull a robbery. Today, if you see somebody in the store not wearing a mask, they're the bad guy. You run away from them. Lots of adjustments. The new normal is a little bit complex. Now, I want to turn the corner a bit as we enter into this message. This is the second in a series called Adjusting to the New Normal. Last week, we looked at restarting. We, we looked at Noah as an example of an individual that had to restart everything in life to adjust. He had to adjust to a new normal in which there was nothing, and he had to restart almost everything. Today, we want to look at someone that's adjusting to the new normal, but it's a restricted life, just like you and I. We are experiencing a restricted life that we have to adjust to. Now, to get us into this message, I want to take a bit of a risk with you this morning. Um, I want to share something with you that, that's uh, very personal to me. It, it's a song. It's a song that etched its way into my heart and into my mind. I mean, the very words, uh, after over 40 years, they're still embedded in my mind, in my heart. Um, it's always risky to share these kind of sensitive things. You may not feel the same way I do about this song, but... Um, I'm going to share a clip of it with you, and then I'll continue on with the message. Listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up to the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jeb's a millionaire. The kinfolks said, Jeb, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. <laughs> okay, okay, so... So some of you, you get the humor of it because you remember that. That was back in 1962, the Beverly Hillbillies. Of course, some of you are so young, you don't even know who the Beverly Hillbillies are. Look it up online. It's a really, it was a sweet, fun show. It was very funny, very innocent. But here's the thing. The whole theme to the Beverly Hills or the Beverly Hillbillies TV series was about this. It was about these mountain people that strike it rich. They find oil on their property. Their kinsfolk tell them, move to Beverly Hills. I have no idea why they ask them to do that. But they move to Beverly Hills, and their whole life is an endless struggle with the restrictions of Beverly Hills living. These people are used to living free out in the woods, roaming the mountains, doing what they want. And they just get in endless trouble because of all the restrictions that Beverly Hills life has. So I want to take you now to a more serious place. I'm going to take you back in time about... 2,600 years, we're going to meet a man who is famous in Scripture. His name is Daniel. 
you'll find uh, 12 chapters that are you know, recorded by Daniel in the Old Testament. And so let's go way, way, way back. We're going to go back to 605 B.C., and we're going to find Daniel, a young man. He's probably a teenager somewhere between 15, 18 years old, and suddenly he is forced to adjust to a new normal, and that new normal is a life with multiple restrictions. So let me start reading. I'm going to be in the book of Daniel itself. It'll be chapter 1. And bear with me, I'm going to be reading you uh, quite a few verses in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace." He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, the name Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now it starts to change, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and they were to drink that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And listen to this last verse. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now let me tell you why that's important. 
Daniel is taken from his home in Jerusalem as a young teenager. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar builds a siege around Jerusalem, and slowly but surely he's, he's taking away their supplies and eventually raids the city, and he carries off thousands of their citizens. He takes the choice young men that he's going to try to retrain, re-educate. But here's the thing. This happened. We know this is hardcore history. This happened in 605, 606 B.C. That last verse said Daniel was there until the reign of Cyrus. Folks, that was 70 years later. Picture this. If Daniel was, let's say, 18 when he was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, he's 88 years old. He's still there. He's still functioning. He may have functioned even past that. So I want you to understand right from the beginning, the scripture is telling us something about Daniel, that his, his pattern that he starts with served him well for over 70 years. So let's start asking ourselves, what are the challenges that we need to consider about facing or adjusting to the new normal. What were the challenges that Daniel had to face in adjusting to the new normal? Folks, I want to tell you, this is one of the most brutal re-education processes I've ever heard of. You talk about brainwashing. This was brainwashing of the most ruthless sort. Think about it. They take these young men from their homeland. They drag them away to Babylon, hundreds of miles away from their home. They take them in a land where they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, the territory itself is all new to them. They have new residences to live in, they have new roles, new relationships, new responsibilities. They are forced to learn all the culture of the Babylonians, and then they're given new names. They take their name away from them. They familiarize them with the religion of the Babylonians. This, this is a complete attempt at brainwashing. This process goes on for three years. It's backed by brute force intimidation because, remember, they were dragged away from their homeland and taken by force into these captive circumstances. This is a really, really difficult set of circumstances for a young man to adjust to. Think about how homesick he might have been. Think of how frightened he might have been. Think of how difficult to learn the new language, to learn the new sciences, to learn the new religion that he didn't even want to learn. All this pressure on him, and yet we find Daniel holds his ground right from the start. He speaks up. Now, you might be wondering, what was the big deal about refusing to eat the king's food? Well, as a Jewish individual, God had given to the Jewish people a dietary code that was to distinguish them from the rest of the nations. And evidently, some of the things that the Babylonians were causing them or wanting them to eat were, were not included in the dietary laws of God. So Daniel very tactfully noticed, very respectfully but with strength and resoluteness, he says, look, why don't you put this to the test? Let us just eat some vegetables and, <clears throat> and water. Look at us after 10 days. And if you don't think it's working out well, hey, we'll, we'll go with that. And of course, the result is what we just heard. They not only uh, thrived, but they turn out to be the very best candidates of all the individuals that they had put into this three-year re-education process. So we see that Daniel had to adjust to a new normal of, of a tremendous magnitude. Literally everything in his life now 
was new. It was foreign. It was uncomfortable. It was constant adjustments. And it was a life, most of all, listen to this part carefully, folks. It was a life of numerous restrictions. You see, he didn't want to be in Babylon. He wanted to be in Jerusalem. He didn't want to be with strangers that he didn't even know their language. He wanted to be with his family and his friends. He didn't want to be learning new practices, how to just be a servant to the king of Babylon. He wanted to be back home and learning whatever trade it was that as a young Jewish man he was going into. Let me show you one other aspect of how ruthless this re-education process with all its restrictions may have been. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah gave a prophecy, and I'm going to read this to you. And it was during the reign of King Hezekiah, and it was when Hezekiah was given 15 more years of life when he became greatly ill and he pleaded with God. But Hezekiah made the mistake of allowing Babylonians to come in and see his treasure. Well, at the end of that, Isaiah went to Hezekiah and he said that he had made a great mistake in what he had done in showing them uh, all, of, all of his treasures. And in chapter 39 of Isaiah, verse 6 and 7, Isaiah says this to Hezekiah, The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Now listen carefully to verse 7. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, will be born, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Pause for a minute. I'm not trying to be obnoxious or gross. This was a common practice in those days. What was a eunuch? A eunuch was a male that had been castrated. They, that made them asexual. It made them have no sex drive. It meant they couldn't reproduce. It is highly likely that they took these young men from their home in Jerusalem. They not only had to force them to learn a new language and a new culture and new roles and relationships and responsibilities. They not only inundated them with restrictions on their diet. They not only changed their names, but it's highly likely that they literally changed their sexuality. You see, there's no record that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's no record that any of them ever married. It's highly suggestive that they may have been made eunuchs. Babylonian kings, this would have been very typical. They didn't want anybody that they were going to give much trust to, much authority to, to be a threat to them in any way, shape, or form. Taking away their normal sex drive was one of the ways that they dealt with this. So we're talking about adjusting to a ruthless set of new normals and restrictions that this young man had to cope with. So the question becomes, it's like, how did he handle this? Where, where, where did he get this resolve from? I mean, he comes up with this approach that is one that's highly suggestive to you and I, and it gives us somewhat of a pattern of how do you cope with adjusting to the new normal? And what we can see is that he not only faced challenges right from the start, but if you read the book of Daniel, you'll find that he faced challenges throughout his 70 years. Let, let me just give you a little sampling. Right in chapter 2, he's not much older. 
He gets a vision from God of the future kingdoms that are going to come and go, and he has to deliver the bad news to King Nebuchadnezzar that God himself is going to set up a kingdom ultimately that will crush all the other kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar's included, and yet he has the courage and the tact to deliver the bad news. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is tricked into making a law that anyone that won't bow down to a statue of gold that he had made in worship will be thrown into a fiery furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse. And God saves them, brings them out through this, and Nebuchadnezzar is forced to confess that that God is the true God. In chapter 4, there's yet another challenge. All of a sudden, uh, Nebuchadnezzar becomes very prideful, very arrogant about his power and his prestige and the empire that he had built. And God gives Daniel yet another vision. He has, Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream and Daniel interprets it. And he says, oh, he says, King, if only this were not about you, if only it was about your enemies, very respectful, very tactful, but he still told the truth. And what he had to tell King Nebuchadnezzar at the threat of losing his own life was that for seven years, he would lose his mind. He was going to have a mental breakdown. It was a judgment from God because of his arrogance. But that after the seven years he would recover, Daniel delivers the news. And of course, it happened. So you see that he faces these challenges. In Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar dies and his son, Belshazzar, takes over. Belshazzar takes the articles that were taken from Jerusalem and he's throwing this mad party. And all of a sudden, a hand appears and it's writing on the wall. Belshazzar, the new king, is terrified. His knees literally knock together. They call for somebody to interpret the handwriting. Nobody can except Daniel. And Daniel had to deliver the message to him too with tact and respect. He said, the message is this. You've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom will be taken from you. And that very night, the Medes and the Persians, a king by the name of Darius came and conquered Belshazzar. Daniel stayed around and delivered the news. When Darius the Mede took over. All of a sudden, his leaders became jealous of Daniel because Daniel was a very high government leader. So they set Daniel up. They went to the king Darius and they said, make a law that anybody that prays to any other god except your gods will be thrown into the lion's den. Darius is not thinking. He says, sure. Well, they knew that Daniel prayed morning afternoon and evening, and he always faced toward Jerusalem. They catch him. They drag him into Darius. Now, Darius loves Daniel. He's his most trusted advisor, but he's got to keep his word. So he throws him into the lion's den, and Darius even says to him, he says, your God will rescue you, Daniel. I know, and you know the story, Daniel in the lion's den. Indeed, he's rescued. So Daniel just keeps showing this, this grit this resolve, this, this wisdom, this respect. He's tactful, but he's truthful again and again. He shows you and I, how do you cope with the new normal? He sets a pattern for us. No matter what challenge emerged, he always showed the same pattern. It was the pattern that he showed when he first, as a very, very young man, refused the king's food. But he did so with humility, tact, and yet uh, tenaciousness at the same time. So here's the pattern that comes out. Now, this is where it gets real personal for you and I. As you and I are going to be forced and are being forced to adjust to the new normal, we don't know what that new normal is going to look like. There's going to be all kind of oddities for a while. I mean, until there's sufficient vaccine, until we know that it's effective, until it can be spread sufficiently, things are going to develop slowly. We know that, for example, they might let businesses go back 
little at a time. We know that they'll be phasing in states. We know that gatherings are still going to probably be restricted for quite some time. Social distancing will still be in place. All kinds of unusual things. Wearing masks used to be, like I said, the bad guy wore a mask. Now you're a bad guy if you don't wear a mask. We don't know. We don't know what kind of adjustments we're going to have to face, but we do know we're going to have to. So I want to share with you now a very distinct pattern that we see in Daniel that I know God's Spirit wants to offer to you and I today. Now here's Daniel's secret. Right from the start as a young man, all the way through all those episodes and challenges throughout his life. Number one, what we see in Daniel is that he is resolute. We see resolution. Whenever one of these crises come, whenever one of these challenges to adjust to some new norm come, we see that Daniel has great resolve. Now let's ask ourselves, how do you have great resolve or resoluteness? Where does it come from? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that that resolve or resoluteness comes from having clarity about issues and then you've got to come to a place where your clarity is so deep that you now have convictions. You understand something thoroughly. You know what the value of it is to the point that you're now willing to risk your life concerning it. The second quality that you see in Daniel, this pattern, is he's not only resolute, but he's resilient. Now, now resilience is an interesting quality as well because resilience, it, it shows this pliancy with perseverance. It, it's kind of a, a flexibility and adaptability and yet a tenacity, a perseverance, an endurance. And we see this with Daniel again and again. He goes through the changes of four different kings in a 70-year history, constantly adapting to new requirements, new restrictions, new circumstances, new pressures, new challenges. But he's always the same Daniel. We always see the same resolve. We always see the same resilience. These are, these are tremendous traits, folks. And, and, and I know what God is trying to tell us. We can be developing during this time we can be developing these same traits that Daniel had. We can, we can develop resolve and we can develop resilience. Now, here's the big question. Here's the big question. Where, where on earth did this young kid get this from? Because when he was carted off from Babylon in 605 or 606, like I say, he was probably somewhere between 15 and 18 at the very oldest. So, He's in this foreign culture with all kinds of intimidating factors around him. How could he adjust to these new norms with such calm, with such clarity, with such tenacity, with such resolve, and with such resilience? Where did he get this from at such a young age? More importantly, where can you and I get this from at any age? Well, let's do a little thinking. Where did Daniel get it from? If you read scripture, you'll find that when Daniel was a young man in Jerusalem, he was in the hub of the king's court. He was in the hub of temple life. Why was that important? Because Daniel would have had direct access to the scriptures, to the word of God. He would have had direct access to all the Old Testament, right up probably to Zephaniah. He would have certainly had the writings of Isaiah. He would have had everything from the first book, five books of the Bible on. He would have been very, very aware of the character of God as the character of God and his principles of acting were revealed in the word of God. 
Daniel was a person that had personally accessed, digested, internalized the truth about God. Let me go further. Daniel was under the reign for at least a few years of King Josiah. King Josiah was this wonderful, godly king who caused all the people of Judah to turn back to God, to turn back to his word, to reform their life. He was under that influence for some of his years. And let me go further. Jeremiah, he was under the influence of Jeremiah the prophet for some years, who kept warning the individuals of Judah that if they didn't repair their ways, God was certainly going to bring Babylon to overcome them. So he was under the guidance of those that were godly. He was under the guidance of God's word and truth. He listened to those that taught the truth about God and the truth about life, and he soaked it in. He soaked it into him to the point that he had resolve. Now, let me, let me just share something with you. You can have resolve and you can have resilience, but it doesn't mean that it's the right sort. You, you know, there, you've met people, I've met people that have resolved, and frankly, they're just abrasive and stubborn and combative and hostile. The reason is their resolve is not coming from the right source. You probably met people that are resilient, but resilience, if it's not sourced in the right place, it can just be a schemer, a traitor, a selfish pragmatist, somebody that's willing to do whatever they have to do to get whatever they want. So resoluteness and resilience are not necessarily good traits. Here's the key. Resoluteness and resilience must be rooted in God. Daniel's was. The secret to Daniel's pattern, the secret, secret that allowed him to cope with adjusting so well to the restrictive new normal was that his resoluteness and his resilience was all rooted in God. Daniel's resoluteness, he had clarity about who God was, what he was like, how good he was, how kind, how righteous. He knew God's purposes and principles. He knew God's methodology of action. He knew God's promises. He had clarity about God, and that brought convictions in him. He knew, and folks, you need to know this. I learned this at age 23. He, he knew that if I'm on God's side, God will always be on my side. It doesn't matter if no one else is. If I'm on God's side, he's on my side. And God and you and God and I is enough. Daniel knew this. And that's where he got this, cur this tremendous courage from. Resoluteness is a combination of clarity and convictions about truth. And that brings courage. And we see that in Daniel for 70 years of his life. No matter what new normal he had to adjust to, he did it with such tact, such gentleness, such humility, yet such courage. And then he had resilience. Daniel knew you, you don't fight every fight. You don't have to fight every battle. You don't get into every argument. He knew when it was time to draw the line in the sand. He was pliant. He was flexible. He was adaptable, but he was also tenacious and persevering. He would stay true to God, even if it meant facing a lion's den or if it meant facing a fiery furnace or if it meant facing any kind of other death. So here was the key. The key that Daniel had and that Daniel received was all rooted 
in God. It was those early years of his life when he was so inundated and saturated with God's truth that he came to know the truth about God and the truth about life. He took that truth, internalized it. He became clear about who he was, why he was here, what he was meant to do, how he was meant to live. He knew God's kingdom would come and his will would be done. He knew these truths. They became convictions in him. And from them came his value system, what mattered, what didn't matter. It gave him courage to face whatever he had to face. It gave him a wise decision-making system. It gave him confidence with humility simultaneous, which gave him that beautiful resilience, that tact, that humble gentleness, yet that, that strength and perseverance to do the right thing. Listen to me carefully, folks, to do the right thing at any price, but not to be foolhardy and to fight a battle that could be better won by being a little humble and more gentler and standing for the truth in a more efficient way. So there's beautiful lessons, but here's the thing. What does that have to do with us? So, so Daniel was rooted in God, and that's where he received this resoluteness and this resilience of character. Well, well, how can you, how can I have this exact same resoluteness, this exact same resilience? Let me share with you some scriptures that you might be familiar with from the New Testament. It's the book of 2 Timothy. And by the way, it's the last writing of the Apostle Paul. He knew when he was writing this, he was going to be beheaded by Nero. And when he comes to chapter 2, verse 15, let me just read you what he says to young Timothy, who was going to take over his ministry. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Let me read it to you again. Do your best. He's saying, man, give it your all, Timothy. Give it your best to present yourself to God as one who is an approved workman, who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Folks, we have the whole revelation of God. Daniel didn't. Daniel just had a partial revelation of God. He didn't know the real heart of God, that it was sacrificially good. That wasn't revealed till Jesus, God himself, came and hung on a cross to show that the heart of God, although almighty, is altogether good. We have the fullness of God's revelation now. We have the word easily accessible when we become workmen that so are that are so familiar with it that we can correctly handle it that means apply it to our life and our circumstances then we too can develop that same resolve and that same resilience that allowed daniel to adjust to the new normal regardless of what restrictions and discomfort he faced. Let me read you one more from 2 Timothy, and it shows again the, the importance of this. In 2 Timothy, this time chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Once again, folks, God has chosen to reveal himself in the scriptures. He's passed down the record. He's preserved the record. He's put it in our hands. You can have, I can have the same resoluteness that Daniel had. You can have, I can have the same resilience that Daniel had if we will 
be rooted in God. And to be rooted in God, we have to be rooted in his word. We need to do our best. We need to make every effort to become those that are familiar with God's word. We need to be good students of God's word. Folks, I want to just share something with you. You know, I've been recently doing these daily devotionals, and and I, I want you to consider something. If you were a person that's had a history of having a hard time getting into God's Word regularly, getting into it uh, at least for a short period of time each day, why don't you take advantage of this? Most of my daily devotionals run from about five to nine minutes tops. Most of them are five to seven minutes. Why don't you just allow the teaching ministry of FCF Church to continue to have its place in your life by at least getting up and watching one of these devotionals. That I, we have them on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. On Wednesday, we show you an old message. And then, of course, on Sunday, I do a new message. But at least four days out of seven, you could let the devotionals begin to help you grow and understand. And then you got to get into your own study Bible to really grow. Folks, the same re- resolve and the same resilience that carried Daniel for 70 years causing him numerous times to adjust to new normals will do the same for you and I. And folks, all through our life, all through our life, we're going to be adjusting to new normals. Listen, listen, we're, we're, we're all aging. Life changes as you age. Rules change. Roles change. Relationships change. We don't have control over a lot of these things. Restrictions come and go in life. We're always going to be adjusting to new normals. And often those new normals come with heavy-handed restrictions. But we can cope with them confidently and competently if we've got the same resolve and the same resilience that the Spirit of God built up in Daniel and wants to build up into you and I today. Let's pray. Father, surely, like the psalmist said, your goodness and your mercy has followed me all the days of my life, though I do not deserve it. I still hope that everyone that hears can say that same thing, that they know whether we deserve it or not, your goodness and mercy has followed us and continues to pursue us. May your spirit find open, willing, teachable hearts today that we will, like Daniel, allow your word and your spirit to develop within us the same beautiful resolve and the same beautiful resilience that will enable us to adjust to whatever new normal and whatever restrictions we may have to face to your honor and glory, to our good and the good of all those that interact with us. Spirit of God, only you can make it so in a deep, lasting way in the souls of men and women. May you be pleased to find access in us today. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. FCF, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you again soon.